This podcast is brought to you by Upcase. Improve your development skills by completing coding exercises that are peer-reviewed by real humans. Learn more at Upcase.com. Hey everybody, this is Mark in San Francisco. Gordon is still out for his 30th birthday extravaganza, so once again I'm joined by Keith Smiley. Hey Keith. How's it going? Again. What were we talking about last week? Um, At the end we were talking about the location manager with Reactive Coco, and that's... Oh, right. I haven't open sourced that yet, but I have time before this comes out. So I will. It's very limited. It gets the job done for... Um, our app, but right now it's very much like a, I need one location that's up to date right now. And then that's it. I need to make some changes to support multiple subscribers, you know, listening to location updates and then being able to like jump in and jump out. And then when all the subscribers go away, we stop updating location. And so I need to convert that over to using a multicast connection. Um, that's not ready yet. So I'll make it available, but just be forewarned that it only really works with updating location and not significant location changes or updating headings or anything like that. So what was the part of that that was difficult? Because you spent a while on that part of just like getting one location even. I mean, ignoring all these other possibilities for it. Mm -hmm. So what was the part that made that difficult with Reactive Coco? Not not to any fault of Reactive Coco. Right, right. I think the problem there is that I wanted to do it without implementing the core location, CL location manager delegate methods. Uh, And the way you do that is that Reactive Coco has a method called signal for selector from protocol, which basically whenever that method, that selector is called, it sends a next event on that signal. Uh, If we were to implement the delegate methods, I would have to create some private subjects and have them sitting around and then just manually send next or send error or send completed to that subject from implementing those delegate methods. But uh, this way I don't need any internal properties. I don't have to implement those. Uh, The problem though is that because those are kind of dynamically created, and I think it's using using Swizzling, right? Um, Those signals never complete. So when I was trying to just like build a chain off of that signal, oftentimes once I got my one location, I would want it to stop, like send complete so that signal is done. But the problem is, is that because those are dynamic and they're always just kind of listening to a selector, there is no finite lifetime for that particular signal. Right. So instead I, you know, just wrapped up creating that signal into like a, you know, did update locations signal. And then instead of trying to like work it into my chain, I would just like listen for new events on that one and then, you know, manually send completed or something once I've gotten, say, you know, one location. So filter, you know, get some locations, take the last one, make sure that it's relatively recent, make sure that it's accurate and finally do a take one on the end. So that signal, the actual update location signal is sort of separate. It it dips into that signal for selector gets some values and then gets back out. But if you're trying to like build off that, it'll just know that it'll never complete. Right. And then there were some weirdnesses of not so much, but there was some stuff around that because you had to start and stop the location manager at the same time. Right. Right. Yeah. 
things that help there, we're learning about the initially and finally blocks that you can chain in. So initially uh, gets called as soon as the first subscriber subscribes, I believe. Is that right? I don't remember if that is that or um, if it has something to do with the signal being hot or cold. I'm not. I, I th- it sounds like you're right, though. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Because that, that's what you ended up using, right? Right. I'm not sure how they guarantee that it's only called once. But that's neither here nor there. So in the initially block, we start the location manager. In the finally block, which gets called in the case of a send complete or a send error, then we just stop the manager. And so like I said, it's, it's, a, it's a one-shot signal. You subscribe to it. It starts the location manager, starts getting updates, filters them. Once it gets one good one and sends it, the signal's done. Or if it gets an error from did fail with error, it's done. So that's not ideal for continuous location updates, but it works well for most cases where you just want to get the location and then do something with that coordinate. So it works for the weather app I'm working on right now. Right. And I guess what you're talking about would be like the ideal case if in some parallel universe core location was like written with Reactive Cocoa, right? Like you would just subscribe and it starts and stops, but then you're not just limited to one thing uh, as needed like you're doing now. Yeah, yeah. It would be better to add another method that sends you all the locations it's getting optionally. Maybe it'll filter on that side before they hand it to you. I haven't thought through that yet. That Um, seems like the client's job, actually. But really, yeah, yeah. I could see it either way. Like, if you've already set a desired accuracy on the manager, that's sort of like an implicit, like, I want something that's, you know, at least this horizontally accurate, but I can see other cases where... You have to give the manager some kind of accuracy, but maybe you want everything because, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, there's cases where you could be doing your own filtering. Sure. I don't know. Maybe we let you, you know, provide your own filter block or something. I don't know. Think through that. But in that case, we want multiple subscribers to sort of be able to hook on and not have side effects run every time a subscriber is added. Really, we would just right. want to say, are you the first subscriber? You know, it's like coming into a dark room, right? Like first person in, turn the lights on. That's like starting the location manager. More people can come in and do whatever, you know, get what they need and leave. And then the last person out needs to turn the lights off. So I'm hoping that's what I can achieve with a multicast connection. And that seems to be what that's for. I think so. I still, I still haven't wrapped my head around how it works. Yeah. I mean, it seems like it's definitely not something you use super often as opposed to all the rest of like just normal signals and streams. Mm-hmm. One advantage there is that we can also replay last so that if we've previously gotten a good location that's made it that far down the chain and someone new comes in and you know maybe they just want a rough location, just, they just need a location to start, but they're willing to keep listening for more, then they'll get a location sent immediately upon subscription. They'll get the last good one that will like flowed through that connection. And so then they can update some UI and then keep listening and maybe there's a more a more accurate one or a more recent one. Yeah, I feel like that would be nice in general, but I'm not sure about the application you're working on since what we're defining as like a usable location is one in the last like five seconds, right? So mm-hmm. I don't know how much that would help there, but I could definitely see that being useful in like a, you know, something like a maps app where you kind of need to get an idea of somebody or where they are. So if you got a location from 10 minutes ago, you at least have like a, you know, portion of the world they're in, right? So... I could see that being useful for something like that. Yeah. Maybe you limit that. Maybe you say, okay, give, you know, replay the last location to me if it was, if it's, you know, less than 10 minutes old, just to maybe try to update some UI 
and approximate something. Sure. So that's been fun. I also wrapped up the geocoder, which is actually far easier to wrap in a signal because it's uh, block-based as opposed to delegation-based, even though now that I understand that like you shouldn't be directly chaining off of these like signal for selectors, you know, wrapping up like an imperative delegation-based class is a lot easier than when I started because I was very, very confused. But with block-based, you know, you just create a signal and you're in complete control of when values get sent and whatnot. Right. That definitely seems like the more manual way to do things. Yeah. So I want to start bundling these up and just open sourcing them because I want everything reactive cocoa-ified, <laughs> especially a networking manager. That's like the next big thing I want to tackle. Yeah. So you think that that would mostly be wrapping up NSURL session just in a few signals, depending on, I, I don't know, what you're trying to do and where your send next gets back, like JSON, probably, because... Yeah, I was going to cover the, the most common use case for me, which is parsing JSON. Yeah. Think of it as, you know, AF networking, signal-based without XML or property list support. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could also build in errors based on the status code, which... Mm. NSU, we were talking about that recently with NSURL sessions since it only errors for like client-side errors and not server-side errors. So it doesn't give you an error even if the server responded with like a 404, right? And so you could handle that on your side and pass that through to the subscriber in an error. Uh, and right. And they could handle that in their subscribe error block. Yeah. So wait, did we talk about th that thing you said didn't sound right to me? Are you saying that any response from the server is a valid, successful response as far as the data task is concerned? I believe so. And I think this is the conversation that we were having recently. So even a 500 could come back, but there won't be an error. Yes. And you have to pull the status code off of the response object. Okay. But you will get an error for the client can't connect to this thing. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, if we just don't even have an internet connection or anything. Yeah. So there really are like three possible errors. There's like a straight up networking error, or there's a server error, or there's a JSON parsing error. And oh, one great thing about Reactive Cocoa is that like the first time you send an error, it's done. The signal's right. done. So like the first time you encounter an error, you're just going to get an error instead, and you just got to deal with it, which is great. Yeah, and that would be a nice way to handle that because I feel like now a lot of times you try to just handle that error in the response block from the data task and then normally it doesn't even get bubbled up so that'd be a nice way to do that because what do you do keep taking that error and just like passing it in by reference to the next thing that takes an error yeah yeah and then also like in the case of those 404 type errors and you just have nil json and you're like okay well here's nil json but we don't know why don't worry about it mm -hmm. so that would be a nice way to wrap that up for ui purposes at least yeah, it would be so much faster just having that around to be able to build an API client on top of that. Yeah, in the API client in that Mac app, it's it's like four or five methods. And those are all just built on like get JSON for path, right? And we just pass it like a string. And then it just like we pass the block that we get through, which is just like a normal, I don't know. I mean, from the user's side, depending on the method, it might actually have a type. But then on the inside of the API client, since it's objective C in, we can play fast and loose. It's just like ID JSON, and that gets passed up, which is nice. So uh, UX kit yeah, I guess happened we, today. We can turn it into the Apple News podcast. Yeah, why not? Boop, 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 boop. Gordon, nice Gordon never allows it, uh, Yeah, so it's nice to be able to do this. <laughs> so 
today, Apple released a beta of Yosemite that included the bundled photos app that they showed off at WWDC in June or whenever. And um, I think it was supposed to ship in the fall, but software is hard. So that was the first beta that has been released there. And someone found that in the private frameworks in that build of Yosemite, there is a framework called UXKit, which uh, is kind of like a layer on top of AppKit because it's still on the Mac that has APIs that look a lot more like UIKit. Are these all subclasses of AppKit classes? Right. So it looks like most of the like view controller things are just subclasses of, I say just, but they still obviously added a lot of stuff, but there are subclasses of like NS view controller and then there's you know subclasses of NS button and stuff like that, but then they added some convenience methods for stuff, which is interesting. Oh, right. I saw you tweet about background color. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because, yeah, because you can't set the background color on an NS view until now, which is pretty amazing. What a revelation. <laughs> The definitely the biggest one that I saw that I actually really want is NS text field centering text vertically because you can't do that. But there's a private API on NS text field that you can just set to like one and it vertically centers it. But it's really hard to do because of the cases of like selecting all and stuff and it draws it differently depending on that. So there are a lot of implementations out there that try to do it, but I've never found any of them work perfectly well. That'd be really nice to have. Is it? completely API compatible with UIKit? I don't think so. Uh, I'd be surprised, but I, I'm not sure. So the question is, like, do you think that that is eventually going to become the place or the framework that you use for most development? I'm not convinced because of the fundamental differences in, like, event handling is, like, a big one, right? Like, the difference between touches and clicks, mouse drags, like, those things are so different that I don't see how they can be. I, I don't see how one framework could really serve both efficiently without having like a lot of corrupt in it. Where it's just like, oh, you just don't use these methods when you're on it on the Mac or when you're on iOS. Yeah, I agree. But I actually that example I think is funny because I was watching a WWDC session today about it was new stuff in Interface Builder I think from 2014, and they were talking about gesture recognizers on OS 10 and they were relating them to the UIKit equivalents. So it was like the pan gesture recognizer where on iOS you would like tap, drag, and let go. They have the same thing on OS X except it's click, drag, and let go. So they were like relating these, but they had very similar ones. And they were just talking about their equivalents on iOS. I can't think of any app that actually uses gesture recognizers on the Mac. Well, uh, actually does the stuff with them or which part? Like, I mean, if you're in preview and you, you can zoom in, you can do pinch to zoom on like a trackpad. And I think you can even rotate with uh, with your fingers that way. I don't typically use those, but I know it's possible with a lot of stuff. But if you're using the mouse, I mean, why not right. just use the normal like... Uh, it's definitely trackpad focused, right? right. And w which is why it's so easy to relate to iOS because it's just a piece of glass. I've never been able to get on like, get on board with a with a trackpad on the back. Like I've tried it, people are like it's more ergonomic. Like no, I I flail so bad. I I don't like using it on my on my notebook either. Well, at least you're not one of those people with like a Bluetooth mouse they carry around all the time with their laptop, and they like, put in a little dongle and then oh. you know. I would actually kill for a wired Magic Mouse. Yeah, we were talking about that in the office because. 
here we have like 20 or 30 mice all of which are on bluetooth within 30 feet of each other and it's impossible to pair things and then other people's mice try to pair with your computer randomly throughout the day i wonder how bigger offices deal with that yeah yeah that's a good question because i mean we don't even have really that many people relative to definitely some of the bigger companies downtown here like dropbox and stuff i don't Mm -hmm. know and uh, like Venmo, they have a ton of people in a really tiny, not not tiny space, but just like in the same giant open room. Yeah. Also batteries. Oh, yeah. That's I'm, a huge pain with rechargeable batteries, yeah. too. They should update that with like a lithium-ion battery that charges wirelessly. And you just like put it on a pad. Just on like, a mouse pad, maybe. So it's like constantly charging? Yeah. Who uses sure. a mouse pad anymore? That's a good point. I would definitely want the blue one with, like, the water droplets on it. It's, like, classic mouse pad. Maybe the XP background on the mouse pad. Do they make those? I've seen those before. Yeah. That's ironic. <laughs> I would use that. So that um, the Mac OS X preferences window thing you were telling me about today, that's uh, not yeah. just 10.10.3, right? That actually shipped in Yosemite, but it was yes. just, like, a huge secret unless you saw the, yeah. the WWDC talk. Yeah, I feel like every year at WWDC, there's so many sessions, and I kind of download the ones I'm interested in, and I throw them in a Dropbox, and then I never get around to watching them, and then sometime, like today, I just kind of sit down and watch a few of them. So today, it was like, I don't know, something about what's new in OS X, and they introduced a NS Tab Bar controller, NS Tab View controller, that's what it is, sorry, um, which covers the old tab view which has existed for a long time where you have like an ns box and then you have a, like a segmented control at the top mm-hmm. and you can kind of click the left left or right i can't really think of any applications that use that especially apple ones i'm sure there's some around uh well uh, if you go into like um any of the system preference panes a lot of those once you're in that pref pane use that yeah. sort of box segmented control pattern like uh if you go into mouse there's like four tabs in there to like click through. Oh, right, yes. And I think mail has something in there too. I don't know, since I don't use mail. Uh, that sounds right. Either way, so they added like an NS View Controller subclass for these, and there's no documentation for it, which I submitted a radar for today because it's like I, I had no idea this class existed. There's like a there's a tiny mention of it in the 1010 release notes, but nothing that implies that it could be used as a preferences window. I guess we should talk about what we're talking about. So, like, the the OS X style preferences window, like you see in Safari and Xcode, where there's a toolbar, and you click on a different tab, and the window resizes, and it kind of shows you a different view. That has never been a directly native control. And you could remake it pretty easily. Not, not really easily. I've been using, for a long time, MAS preferences window, which is what we were using in this Mac app that we've been working on too. And he also has a really awesome library for doing like global shortcuts, which is awesome too. But we've been using that, or I've been using that for a long time. Then I was watching the session today and in the first demo, he demos this new NS tab view controller and switches one option on it to be like a toolbar style and then magically has a preferences window and he's like the classic preferences window thing and it just and then his demo was over and it totally blew my mind and i just stopped and i was like i can't believe that i hadn't heard about this no one's talked about this and i mean i and then i looked at the header and like all the most of the information is there there's a ton of comments it doesn't say much directly about our preferences window but like there's comments on the stuff about it which is nice 
but I was just really surprised that, that kind of came out of nowhere. And I feel like it's just because people don't really talk about Mac development nearly as much as iOS, at least. Yeah. But it makes you wonder what else we're missing. That is definitely, yeah. Now I have so much FOMO now from, like, not watching WWDC sessions more often of, like, what else what else happened that would totally change the way I make applications. I don't know. I can't think of anything particular, but there's definitely things that I know that, like, will come up in conversation. And they'll be like, how do you know that? I'm like, it was in a session. And it's not documented anywhere else. It's not in a header. It's not in the docs. Like, you only know because this, like, engineer made, like, a passing reference to this thing. Yeah. I guess that's where, like, the ASCII WWDC comes in. But yeah. unless you know what you're looking for. Yeah, or you're reading every single one. Yeah. It's, it's weird to read those, though, because it's... Mm-hmm. It's know, very it's, strange. It's like a script, like, for a movie or something. Like, uh, Yeah, weird. because it's speech converted yeah. to something you read. And, like, there's so many, you know, filler words that you would never use when you're writing something. It's just, like, really hard to skim that thing and find... Yeah, that's the. I think the part that irks me the most about it is that because it was in a demo, it's not in the slides either, right? It's not. It's not made obvious in the slides that that's what's happening because it's. It was in a demo, and so yeah, I searched. I, I googled that class afterwards, and it's like the second thing to come up with that was ASCII WWDC, and then that had what the guy said. But you kind of needed to see what he was doing at the same time, too, because he was like, I'm just going to change this option to toolbar. And that's not really helpful when you read that, right? So the NS tab view controller is not a new class. It is a new class. Oh, new in Yosemite. And it has the option of Yes. So that that is the interesting part, because the tab view thing existed before, and people were using it, like what we were talking about, the preferences. But they added the preferences thing to that, and then made the controller for it i guess which there were this was all framed around you can do this in storyboards and you like drag out content view controller like segue relationships Mm -hmm. and then everything works magically but yeah there was some other stuff that really wasn't documented like it picks the image based on the class name of the view controller to show in the toolbar which isn't crazy it's just not I mean, that wouldn't be the first thing that came in my head. You can also choose an interface builder if you're doing that. Mm-hmm. But then he, they also made a passing reference to if you have two images, one that's named after the class and one that's named after the class dash tab view item, then it'll pick that one, which is crazy. I mean, it makes perfect sense because it's, I mean, I could see why you might have another image in there that was related to your controller, depending on what you were putting in the view. But... Something that is totally not documented anywhere else, though. I've wondered why there aren't more container view controllers like that on iOS. That have one very specific purpose. Uh, Yeah, that take, like, a common pattern and make it view controller-based instead of view-based. That segmented control thing is, like, pretty similar to the segmented control in Box on the Mac. But there's no such thing as, like, a segmented control view controller. And when they added view controller containment in iOS 5, that was the first container that I wrote because I needed it at the time, where you could load up this container with a bunch of view controllers. It would take all of their titles, build a segmented control, put the titles in there. You could choose to put it in a top bar or a bottom bar. It would give you like a nav bar or a toolbar. And then, you know, switching those would just like switch the view controllers out instead of having it all in one view controller that's just like switching between views and like hiding and showing them. Yeah, they talked about that in relation to iOS in that session, too, because they were talking about the pattern of, like, using child view controllers for stuff like that. It was pretty interesting. It's definitely worth watching. I think it was, like, 2.12 was the session. I don't know. Mm. 
Did you watch the one I told you about animation? I haven't yet. That one is probably the best session. Do you know the Watch full her. title for the listeners? Uh, I don't. I will <laughs> look that up and put it in the show notes. Cool. But it's Andy Matushak and someone else that I can't remember. So <laughs> apologies to them. Mostly about core animation. There's just like a bunch of good like nuggets of wisdom in there. Uh, one is how to map the like sort of ending velocity of a pan gesture. And turn that into an initial spring velocity that you would pass into the spring animation methods that were added two years ago in iOS 7. Uh, because they're in different sort of um, unit systems, Sure, I guess. Yeah. Um, the, spring anim- or the spring animation one is in terms of the full distance you know, that you would travel in the duration of that animation. Whereas the velocity you know, coming out of a pan gesture is really just like points you know, distance traveled over time. Um, so you have to like clamp that value between like how far are we actually moving, you know, in the spring animation, but just like that little tidbit, like it would have been nice to have that in code somewhere, like have an animation method that just takes a velocity that you get, you know, at the end state of a gesture. And so you can like, you know, drag things around and then throw them with like springiness and it's, you know, completely fluid. It's also all about how core animation animations, I think, I'm not sure if you get this for free with the UI view animations. I don't see why you wouldn't. They're all additive by default now. So if you have moving, if you have something moving 300 points from left to right, uh, say at the click of a button, and you click the button again when it's halfway through, and it you know sends it back to its original state, instead of it just jumping to like the new two position and then animating to where it's supposed to go, uh, it'll actually tween between the two, like taking into account velocity so you know if it's halfway and you tell it to go back it'll like kind of slow down like overshoot where it just was and then spring back and go back and so i thought that was interesting coincidentally you know pop from facebook came out at around the same time that that was like their big sell is that you can you know trigger animations at any time and everything is like automatically tweened between like you'll never see things jumping around um it's a really good session i recommend checking it out if you're interested in ui at all which you should be well yeah that said i've been building a progress indicator all day (laughs) all day sitting here trying to make a thing scroll infinitely and then the last hour i've just been like tweaking core graphics code to try to take like a bunch of line segments and angle them i'm very bad at core graphics (laughs) very very bad anything else i don't think so I had so much to say before this started, and I feel like I've gotten it all out. I'm just very satisfied now. <laughs> so show notes for this episode will be available at buildphase.fm slash 72. And as always, we'd like to hear from you. So email us at buildphase.thoughtbot.com or reach out on Twitter at buildphase. And as always, we appreciate ratings and reviews on iTunes. Uh, so that's it. 